I'm Tim Lupinacci, CEO of Baker Donaldson. Welcome to the Everybody Leads podcast, where we empower individuals to embrace their leadership potential. Join me each episode for inspiring stories from corporate executives to everyday change makers who lead without titles. You'll discover actionable leadership principles that are honed in the trenches and that anyone can apply regardless of your current situation or past mistakes. Because here, we believe that everybody leads. All right. Well, I am very excited today to welcome Brian Jordan to the Everybody Leads podcast. Brian is the chairman, president, and chief executive officer of First Horizon Corporation, which is a financial services company with $85.1 billion in assets, at least as of June of this year. Uh, And before joining First Horizon, uh, Brian was the chief financial officer at Regions Financial Corporation, and his career also included positions at First Union Corporation and KPMG. Uh, He is an active member in the Memphis community, uh, currently serves on the board of AutoZone, Inc., Memphis Tomorrow and Operation Hope. Uh, He's a member of the Bank Policy Institute, the Tennessee Business Leadership Council, and the Tennessee Population Health Consortium Advisory Council. And he also co-chairs the Concordance First Change Campaign. Uh, Now, headquartered in Memphis, Tennessee, First Horizon Corporation provides financial services through First Horizon Bank, First Horizon Advisors, and FHN Financial Businesses. The banking subsidiary, First Horizons Bank, operates in 12 states across the southern U.S. and offers commercial, private banking, consumer, small business, wealth, and trust management, retail brokerage, capital capital markets, fixed income, mortgage, and title insurance services. I'm proud uh, member, uh, owner, uh, account uh, member at the First Horizon. Uh, the banking subsidiary has been recognized and ranked by American Banker as a number five among the top 10 most uh, reputable U.S. banks. Uh, FHN Financial is a capital markets industry leader in fixed income sales, trading, and strategies for institutional uh, customers across the U.S. and abroad. Brian holds a Bachelor of Arts in Finance and Accounting from Catawba College, and he and his wife, Kim, have three children. Uh, And it's really a privilege for me that Brian uh, will be on the Everybody Leads podcast at Baker Donaldson today because of the long standing partnership between First Horizon and Baker Donaldson that goes back many decades. Uh, I know First Horizon is a valued, trusted advisor to and partner with Baker Donaldson. And I've been fortunate to get to know Brian over the past five years that I've been CEO of Baker Donaldson, and I've learned a lot about leadership by watching Brian. And so, Brian, I am very thrilled and glad to have this opportunity to talk to you about leadership today. Well, thank you for having me. You're, you're kind to do that. And uh, let me thank you again for doing business with us. We appreciate the trust that you and your firm uh, individually and as a, as a uh, entity place in us. So thank you. Oh, sure, Brian. Well, uh, really, this lead, this podcast is all about leadership. And so I talked about some of your um, the stops you've had along your journey to being the, the chair and CEO of First Horizon. But talk about your leadership journey. When did you really start considering yourself as a leader? And uh, maybe just that trajectory? How did that play out for you? It, it, it's interesting, you know, inherent in, in the way you describe my background, people will conclude that I'm a recovering CPA, and I am. <laughs> I, uh, I started in public accounting, and, and one of the things that was interesting to me about public accounting versus any of the summer corporate jobs that I'd had when I was in college is you tend to work in a project orientation. So I would go work on an engagement for two, four, six, eight weeks, and the staff and the team would change from engagement to engagement. 
And, and I really got very interested during that period of time, particularly in the first year or two where I had to start leading engagements and I'd have a new staff person that I had to train and or, you know, work through how we got the audit done this year versus the way it done in the prior audits. And, and I really started thinking then about, OK, how do I become a better leader? And it's partly because I didn't think I was particularly good at it. And I may not be any better today, but I was pretty sure then that yeah. that was the case. So I started studying that concept even when I was in public accounting. And I was fortunate when when I went into banking in the early 90s, I was with First Union and became Wachovia, now part of Wells Fargo. First Union had invested a tremendous amount of time, energy, and training around the leadership programs. And I really got to deep dive on, on leadership concepts, et cetera, there. So that's really where I got started on this journey. That's great. I, I love though, the fact that you were thinking even before you got into some of those more formal leadership training that the corporations did, that as a young accountant, that you started thinking about leadership and wanting to get better. Do you recall any, I mean, how did you, did you, did you take actions to help yourself get better? I mean, do you reading books or, I mean, how did observing great leaders and learning from them? How did that play out as a young accountant? Yeah, I, th there was two things primarily. One is, I stepped back from a lot of the situations that that I experienced and and I concluded that I, I didn't really like that that my uh, interactions were really emulating experiences that I didn't like. So wow. I was I was reflecting bad experiences. So I took that and and said, okay, I, I'm gonna have to to one, pay attention to good experiences and bad experiences and take the best of, of those good leaders and try to deploy that, but also learn the lessons of the ones that I had. Uh, bad experiences is probably not the right way to describe it, but where it, didn't, where it didn't feel as good and, and try to avoid those kinds of things. And then I started to then participate in some of the leadership development programs that they had in public accounting. Uh, when, as, as you progress, they started to do more training and it was probably a little bit late in a lot of cases, but it was, it was there that I started. Uh, at First Union, I, I mentioned the, the leadership programs and I did a lot of, of investment of time in leadership programs at, at First Union. Um, probably the most meaningful, impactful was a, a school that this may be a name that you recognize, a, a, a gentleman by the name of Peter Block. He was an author. He wrote Flawless Consulting and a book called Stewardship. And I, I'd started with his book, Stewardship. And, and I really liked the notion about how he connected individuals to the organization and how you relate people in organizations and what leader's role is. And I wouldn't say, you know, it's a one for one match, but I really found that interesting. He created a school called the school for managing. And, uh, and it was a five week program that I was able to participate in over the course of 12, 18 months. And, and we spent very intense period of time in those five weeks talking about different styles of leadership, how you create organizational change. And that was the genesis of, of really 
the the supercharging what I found is is the need to invest in understanding leadership skills. That's great. That's great to have that opportunity to to be able to participate in that and then to really dive into it. Like it sounds like you did. Do you still have a situation where like you have principles that you learned in those five weeks you still go back to or maybe still influence your leadership today? Yeah, ab- absolutely. And and we in that program, we he put in front of us a, a lot of different leadership styles and and really creating organizational change from folks who had been very effective in changing school systems, for example, mm. to folks that had been very successful in leading change at Ford Motor Company and 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 big big organizations. And you know, some of the most simple things that I think about. We spent time talking about self-organizing systems and self-organizing systems are a part of nature. The easiest example is when you, this time of year in particular in the South, if you see a flock of geese, how do the, how that flock of geese know to organize itself in a Z and a V and, and change leadership positions throughout so that they can be most efficient and, and everybody does an equal amount of work. And, and turning that into how do you, how do you create buy-in? How do you create um, connection to the, the mission? And, and ultimately, the, the most important is, I, I think change is one of those words that sounds great. And change is especially good when other people are doing it, but people don't like us don't like having change imposed on us. And so leadership is in many ways figuring out how you take people and organizations through periods of change, which is something that we're not anxious to do to begin with. So I still apply a lot of what I learned there and, and hopefully um, continue to figure out, okay, how do I do it better each time? Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Brian. That's really a, a very insightful um, comments because I became CEO. I mean, there was change, just the fact my predecessor had been the role 20 years. So that was change and people are skeptical. And 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 then we had to make some changes and then COVID hit. Uh, a lot of that does, I think you're right, tying it back to purpose uh, and what you're trying, the mission um, and, and what you're, the why behind the change, I think is helpful. But I'm like you, I mean, I, it's funny because like we changed, office buildings uh, here in Birmingham a couple of years ago. And I like, I had my own parking spot where I wanted to park in the other building. I didn't have my name on it. I just was always there. I didn't like change. Of course, here I am leading change. So I get that, you know, you just have to work through it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's, it's one of those things that when you choose change, it's somewhat easier when it's imposed on you. It's, it's somewhat more difficult. And, and right. Most most visible example I've ever seen is, is you have great plans. You and your family going out of town for the weekend, you're headed home to get them. You have a flat tire and it makes you angry because your plans got changed. And, right. You know, right. who are you angry at and why are you angry? It's just sort of a random event, but we get sort of fixated and we're creatures of habit. And, and I think in some ways, you know, particularly baby boomers like me, we were trained up not to, to, rock the system, not to create change, to be conformist. And, and as, as we get into organizations, we're really asking people to take their livelihood, which is, you know, what the, the remuneration and, and lead and create change and, and make a difference, be a, act empowered, act accountable, and, and really take some risk. 
And that really requires a different thought process around leadership to get people to step up from doing just the most safe thing to what's the right thing for the mission. Oh yeah, that's really great. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. So uh, I love, I also love what you said because, uh, and I, since I've gotten to know you, I know uh, you are a constant learner uh, and you're continuing to try to get better. Um, and uh, so is there a lesson that you've learned um, during your leadership journey where maybe something didn't go as planned, but that, um, but you learned lessons from it and then implemented it to, to change course or how did that work out when you make, cause we all make mistakes um, right. and we all make bad choices. Um, but then something that where maybe you learned and then, uh, and then made, you know, got better at it. Yeah. That's a, a really good way of framing it. The, the lessons I've learned best over the years have been the ones where I was making a mistake. Yeah. And, and I heard a way of describing it yesterday is they, they, it was somebody on the radio, but they said, when I get home, I sit in the car five to eight minutes after I get home before I even get out, sort of a decompression time. Yeah. And, and what I've learned from most of my mistakes is, is to, to step back at the end of the day and identify those mistakes and think through them. So it, if, if I've taken anything away from the big mistakes, where I didn't handle a situation the right way, or I asked for the wrong objective, or whatever it happened to be, is to step back at the end of the day and, and analyze those moments and process them for the ones that didn't work as well. And one, figure out what fences you need to mend the next day. And two, figure out how it is that you get better and don't find yourself in that trap in successive conversations. Right. Right. Yeah, that's that's great. Good thoughts. Well, so as a, a leader in, in a large organization um, that uh, you have obviously a lot of demands on you, a lot of pressures, um, a lot of stresses, how do you manage your day to day, like uh, giving you some sort of you time? I mean, do you have daily practices that you can do to kind of stay energized because you're out front and people are following your lead and you're optimistic and and uh, how, do you have things that help you? kind of refresh Brian so you yeah. can help better lead your colleagues? Yeah, I, I, I start most of my days. I, I, I know you run, so I, I've transitioned to biking. And, yeah. and uh, I start most of my days on a bike, probably five to six days minimum on a bike, whether it's either stationary or outside. This time of year in winter, I don't get outside yeah. very much. But uh right. My hands get cold and all that, so I've just gone to riding <laughs> on a stationary bike. But I use I use physical exercise as a way to to create that uh, endorphin release that that one gets me energized for the morning. But it also serves as is that compression time. It's not I don't sit in the car for five to eight yes. minutes, but I use my time on a bicycle, which is somewhat repetitive to to use that to think about what's going on in the organization, what's going on in the family, what's going on in the world, and and how to organize my thoughts around it. And that's a good 45 minutes or so a day that, that I have pretty focused and quiet time to do that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. That's exactly what running is for me. I'm not fast. I, I mean, I don't necessarily love the art of the running or the action, but it is a, it's time for me to think and reflect on and, and the day ahead, the day past. And so I agree. And I know, I think a lot of leaders, um, 
that are going, you know, 110 miles an hour all the time. You just need that time to decompress. Um, so um, that's great to hear that, yeah. that you do that too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so as you, um, as you have built, uh, as organ, as, First Horizon has grown a lot under your leadership, and that is necessarily entailed, I guess, growing your leadership and sort of that core A player leadership team. How do you make sure you do have A players in every position, in the right positions, and um, to help you execute all that you're doing? When I first moved to Memphis, I, I participated on the board of the Memphis Symphony Orchestra, and one of the programs that they ran was a, a leadership program. Hmm. And it fits nicely with the title of your podcast. It was uh, leading from any chair. And, and I know hmm. absolutely, I'm going to tell you everything I know about music in, in, a, in the next 30 <laughs> seconds, which is not very much. But the whole notion was, is that anybody in the symphony could lead at any given moment. Hmm. And it, so leading from any chair and they, they, felt so strongly about that they translated that to an organizational uh, program hmm. and that helped in, in some ways crystallize my thinking about corporate life and it, and it is very simply this we tend to want to think about leadership in the context of an organizational structure a reports to b b reports to c and so on and so forth but but really flexible and nimble organizations require that everybody in the organization be in a position of leadership at some point in in any organization any given day and you really have to make sure that you're selecting people and empowering people that are in a position to then take the ball and run with it to use a football analogy when it's their opportunity to lead um, so we spend a lot of time thinking about how we encourage decision-making and risk-taking, empowerment and accountability. And, and, and that, that is a self, sort of self-fulfilling prophecy yeah. about creating A-type leaders in, in the organization. Because it's, if you go back to your progression and, and, and the law profession, and you go yeah. back through what I've described in terms of public accounting and banking. I didn't start out as CEO, but you learn to make decisions, you learn to lead, you you learn to, to incorporate all of these things over an extended period of time. It's a marathon; it's not a sprint. Right. And and so using every opportunity to put people in a position to make decisions and to take risk and to create a framework for future leadership and decisions is important. And ultimately that helps us ensure that we're building talent for the future to, right. to allow us to uh, enable us to grow across our organization. Yeah. That, and you know, I think Brian, uh, that I totally agree with you. And I think what is impressive about what I've seen you do is all of that, is premised upon you having trust in those folks you are empowering. And certainly you got to hold them accountable and there, there's consequence, all that, but you are trusting those individuals to do that. And I think trust is something that sometimes gets lost as being such a valuable tool for leaders who are really driving big change and growth. Yeah. Yep. You, you have to, you have to have trust and you have to be willing to accept that when you ask people to take risks and they make mistakes, it's going to result in mistakes. Right. And, and you, 
you have to look at those mistakes and you say, okay, how do we get better organizationally? How do we get better as individuals from those mistakes? And as I self-acknowledge, the lessons I've learned best were the mistakes that I was allowed to make. And, and hopefully I'll be a better leader because of those mistakes. And as other people make them, you got to have the, you got to have trust that they're going to learn from it and get it right the next time. Yeah, I love that. I love the word you used, allow people to the space to make mistakes that were because I think that's so critical. Um, uh, and I think sometimes we, uh, some of our some people don't think about that as much because I had the same benefit of a mentor who I made a lot of mistakes as a young lawyer, but he and he gave me some tough love at times, um, but it made me better. Uh, and he didn't just discard me after a few mistakes. So that's uh, that's really wise. Um, so I've got a selfish question because I struggle with this. And you've got a much bigger role and job than I ever even thought about having. About how do you how do you handle prioritization? There are certain things that Brian is uniquely positioned to do for First Horizon to drive to to drive all you're trying to accomplish and to leverage your talents and your skills. But there's a lot of other good things that people could get asked you to do. How do you balance all that and prioritize your day? It, it's interesting. There's something that somebody gave me. 15, 16 years ago when I became CEO here, and it's one of these how-to or CEOs for dummies or something <laughs> like that that somebody gave me. And and it, it listed four things that, that only the CEO can do, and then everything else can be delegated to somebody else. And and so I have continued to write over for the last 15, 16 years every time I do a a to-do list, I start with those four things. Yeah. And, and it, one is define the culture of the organization. Two, define the meaningful outside, meaning what's relevant in the world around us. Uh, uh, three is to balance current yield versus future investment, meaning what are we going to earn today versus what are we going to invest in the future? And, and then the fourth is what businesses are we in? Uh, yeah. what, what are we going to do? And invariably, all of those things, I, I, I focus on how am I focusing on those things? And then ultimately, you get other people engaged in those discussions. Mm-hmm. But I try to allocate the bulk of my time to, to focusing on those four items and then de- let the, the delegation in the organization back to the trust and the accountability to allow other people to, to tackle everything else and get involved where they need help and assistance. That's great. I love that. Uh, I, it, it, that reminds me of, a, um, uh, I can't remember the resource, but someone talked about you know, identifying your top three. So you had four, which I think all four of those are valid. Top three. And then when you get your to-do list, judge it, like you said, against those three things and everything else put into the fourth category, uh, which is, doesn't have a title on it. It's blank. So you could do it with five categories, like with your, th- and, and delegate it or, or don't do it. Right. Um, and, uh, so yeah, that, that's uh, really helpful. Um, well, good. Well, so, um, what, insp- what inspires Brian Jordan to keep doing what you're doing? Any, uh, any uh, inspirations or motivations that, that keep you going? Yeah, I, I'm I'm inspired by a, a lot of things. Uh, I, I love watching the the success of people and and the organization. And uh, I've I found that that 
thinking about what is almost a 160-year organization now and thinking about how the people who founded this, this business in the 1860s, how they built us to, to withstand. You think about what's happened in the U.S. You've had the yellow fever epidemic here in Memphis. You had uh, the financial panics of 1907. You've had World War One, World War Two, the Great Depression, Vietnam, you know, great financial crisis. It just goes on and on and on. And and so I'm I, I get really inspired thinking about how do we leave uh, this organization and our team in a position to be successful for the next roughly 160 years. And and I get excited about the change that's going on in our industry. I get excited about what how customer needs are evolving and how we try to respond in new and different ways to those. So I just get excited about our business. And, and ultimately, our business is about how we make a difference in the communities that we live in, that we work in, and we play in. And, and ultimately, banking is the circulatory system for the social fabric for the communities where we serve. I just get excited about the mission we have making people's lives better. Yeah, that's so good. I really do appreciate because First Horizon is a leader in giving back and, and being involved in the community. Right. So I really appreciate that um, as a member of a community where you are located uh, that you do that. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I hadn't thought about this before, but when you talk and congratulations, 160 years is pretty remarkable. Um, going through all those challenges that as an organization, it's clear that First Horizon has been resilient as an organization. And that's got to, I guess, lead from the top. So how have you helped think through and lead with resiliency? I mean, how do you, you know, something, you get a setback, how do you, you know, keep moving forward? Yeah, I, I don't know what role I've played in the past, but I tell you, the, you know, the role I try to play in the future is is to make sure that we don't miss the big inflection points. Mm. If you think about great firms like Kodak or you think about great firms like Blockbuster, yeah. you go down the list where companies that were doing very, very well missed inflection points. And so I, I think not so much about what I can do, what I've done in the past, but how do we prepare for the inflection points that are coming at us in financial services and, and make sure that we deliver to customers' expectations and don't miss those inflection points, i.e. take a path towards irrelevancy. Right. Oh, that's great. Well, just a couple of questions as we wrap up because I appreciate your time. Is there anything, something that you've learned recently, something new that uh, has got you really thinking, have the wheels turning or, or some a book you read, anything like that? Yeah. I see something new every day that sort of underscores it. There's a book that was written, I think it's Peter Zihan, uh, called The End of the World is Just Beginning. And it's it's sort of the, the reversal of the world is flat. Friedman's The World is Flat. And, and I can't pick up the Wall Street Journal any day without seeing some example of what he's saying in, in terms of the end of the world is just beginning. And it's not as... It's not as uh, apocalyptic as it sounds, but it is the sense that this global economy is starting to fray at the edges. And so it's it's got my, my wheels turning in the sense that it won't be completely right, but it won't be completely wrong based on what I'm seeing today. 
Oh, that, I appreciate you sharing that. I'm going to pick that up. That's that's great. Uh, we have folks will be listening who don't have a title, don't have a corner office, uh, don't maybe have an assistant or whatever. Uh, what advice uh, would you give about um, uh, to on leadership and becoming a leader or being a leader, even when you don't have a fancy title? It ultimately, in my view, is is leadership occurs in in many many ways and. And you think about the person you just described, they're probably a leader in a, in a something, a, a civic organization or a church group or in an extended family, or they're coaching a basketball team. We have all sorts of leadership opportunities every single day. And, and the, the more time we spend thinking about what is the, the truth in what somebody else is saying? Even if I disagree, why they're not saying it to be disagreeable. They've got some truth in it. So let me figure out that truth. Understanding people makes you a better leader. So I would always say, you know, use the, the skills that you have to listen for the truth, try to process where someone is coming from. And, and that'll make you a more understanding, more compassionate and better leader whether it's in, a, in something corporate or whether it's something completely civic or in your family, right. it just, it'll make you a stronger leader. Yeah, I totally agree. That's great. Great advice. Well, so I guess the last question is because the podcast called Everybody Leads under this same idea we were talking about earlier about that, um, you know, everybody leads pretty much every day, regardless of position and title, whether it's in your family, civic, or um, just, uh, you know, people, you're influencing people as you go through day, you go through your day. Uh, do you have any examples of an individual that you have seen really exemplify that maybe at First Horizon or otherwise that, uh, um, just is a leader, even though they don't have a title or. Yeah, I've, I've got, I see those examples, uh, all the time and you probably get it too. You get letters from customers and, and one of my favorite stories is, is, you know, it goes back probably eight to 10 years ago. And, and this is an individual who was on a Friday afternoon in a marketplace with a customer who was trying to get out of town and they literally had to decide is, is this a, a, a law or is this a rule? And if it's a law, I can't violate it. If it's a rule, I can get it done. And they took the risk and said, I'm going to put it all on the line and do what's right for this customer. I see those kinds of examples all the time. And that gets me really excited about doing the right thing in the right way. And, and, uh, we're, I'm blessed in, in the sense that I get to work with a, a lot of caring and thoughtful people. And, and that gets me more excited than anything that I see on the national or the global stage around leadership. Yeah, it is. Isn't it interesting how that's the, that's the stuff that gets you up in the, at least it gets me up in the morning. It sounds like you too about impacting the individuals that you work with every day that are you're pouring into and they're impacting others. And, in some small way, you're changing the world because you're impacting that, that world of individuals. So, yep, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Brian, this is so much fun for me, and I've learned so much just talking to you. I really appreciate your time um, just to, to join us on the podcast, and I really appreciate all you do. Uh, as I said, the First Horizon does for Baker Donaldson, does for me personally, um, but also all you do in the communities. It's really impressive. So, thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it. Thank you for tuning in to the Everybody Leads podcast. We hope you've been inspired by today's stories of leadership. For more information about Baker Donaldson, you can go to bakerdonaldson.com. You can find additional leadership resources at everybodyleads.org. 
Also, feel free to reach out to me at any time. Remember, leadership knows no boundaries. It's about embracing your potential no matter your situation or your title. Keep leading with purpose and making a positive impact in your world. And join us next time for more empowering insights. Because here, we believe that everybody leads.